So, um, uh, for the next few weeks, I'm, I'm preaching through uh, a series of, of sermons. I'm going to preach a series of sermons on that I've, I've titled Called in, in Christ, um, what we are, are called in, in, in Jesus Christ. Um, how many times do you think the word Christian is used to describe the followers of Christ in the Bible? How many times? Someone want to... How many times do you think you see the word Christian? You said zero. Don't, don't put your hand up. I'm joking. Um, twice. Two times at least. Christians are being referred to as... Um, the followers of Christ are referred to as Christians. Only twice in the, in the New Testament. Only t- twice in the entirety of the Bible. Um, one of those times is basically an explanation in the book of Acts by Luke as to how Christians came to be called Christians, which is that it was actually probably the opponents and the jesters and folks who were making a mockery of this new movement um, who imposed that name on them. So it's not like it was in and of itself some kind of of God-given name. Of course, we do have, we we see that Christians adopt the name more as 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 a point of reference and witness. That is, since everyone had become used to referring to this movement as such, in a sense, what's in a name, it's way more important. Um, they can refer to us as Christians. It's, it's way more important that they understand the, that we are a, a separate people and the substance of our faith. So that what is certain is that in no way do the scriptures indicate that the term Christian is meant to exhaust the calling and identity of a follower of Christ. And that in fact, actually, when you call someone a Christian... Or, or, or that when we call each other Christians, it may actually necessitate a follow-up question as to what a Christian is. What is a Christian? What, what does a Christian do? What's a Christian's life about? And because of that, it, it suggests to me also that there may be times when, because Christians are not actually appreciating that there's a need for us to remind ourselves and to um, appropriate the vast number of ways. There's many ways in which the Bible actually begins to break down and explain what a Christian's calling is and what it means to be a Christian. That, that we may actually sometimes just forget who we are. Uh, we may, we may, and that's a spiritually, spiritual forgetfulness. Very often when the Bible speaks about remembering, remembering and forget, forgetting, it's a spiritual thing. It's not merely intellectual as if, oh, I can't remember that. It's more, it's not defining the way I live. Um, it's, not, it's not having a, a kind of overwhelming, controlling effect on how I respond to my reality. So often Christians just have to, we have to be reminded. We need to almost recover um, our identity in Christ, who we actually are, what it means to be a Christian. We almost have to remind ourselves that we have to live according to our identity in Christ. And that's what um, I'm, I'm going to do in these number of in the next few weeks is draw your attention to some of those prominent ways in which you might say the Christian's life is described and remind us that that's who we are. If you're a Christian, if you've trusted in Jesus for salvation, this is who Christ has actually made you. You are like it. It's not a choice. It's not an option. This is who you are. If you're not that person, you're not actually a Christian, is the point. And, and today, I want to look at the 
as you can, you can, you can already tell from the reading, I want to look at the, 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 the name Christ gives his people, uh, the fact that Christ calls his people witnesses, right? In, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus Christ says to his disciples, and I'm going to suggest that he's saying those words at least largely to his disciples in total, all his disciples, all those who will follow him. He says, you are my witnesses. So one way to describe Christians is as witnesses. That's who we are. If you're a Christian this morning, you're a witness, right? Um, strangely enough, there's a, very often you see that terminology, if you want, that name being adopted by, uh, in our day, it's adopted by a whole different sect of people. It's often referred to as cults in it's theological jargon, though I don't know how, uh, at least in the way cult is used contemporarily, I don't know how appropriate it is to refer to, to them as, to those people as cults. But at least this different group, this different sect, that's not actually, it's not actually Christian, if you want, according to the biblical definition of Christian. They refer to themselves as witnesses. And if you had, if you had come to HRC this morning, or someone had invited you, most of you anyway, if you're a Christian, said, oh, let's go to the, that church. What's that church called? Oh, they're called... Hackney Evangelical Reformed, or Hackney Evangelical Witnesses. Hackney Evangelical Reformed Witnesses. They're not coming. They're like, no, 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 that sounds a bit, that sounds weird. Like, witnesses? No, 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 that's not. But actually, we, we are witnesses, right? The Bible says we are witnesses by, by uh, allowing that term to be taken by other people or, or, or folks who, who preach error. We have maybe, or if we're not careful, we do ourselves a disservice and we divest ourselves of something that gets to the very heart of our identity in Jesus. You are a witness if you're a Christian. You know, you, I'm a witness. That's, that's how I am. What, what do them things you guys do? No, no, not you guys do. Them things that people say you should do in the morning when you wake up. Um, affirmations, is it? You say in the mirror, say, I'm brave, I'm, I'm kind. Even though you just fought somebody yesterday, you're shouting you're kind. Better go and apologize. You're saying, I'm kind, I'm lovely, I'm this, I'm that, I'm strong, I can do this. All right, but I can tell you for sure you are, if you're a Christian, you're a witness. You know, sometimes you need to grab yourself by the collar and say, I'm a witness, you know, if I've trusted in Jesus Christ. My brothers and sisters, you know you're witnesses, if you're a Christian. You know, you're, we're witnesses today. This is a, a congregation of witnesses. In the book of Acts, the witness is essentially, let me, let me say something about what the witness is. And, and Acts is, is the predominant book where this phrase is used to describe Christians, the book of Acts. Other, other scriptures, I think, as well, but in Acts, predominantly, the Christians are in this business of witnessing, where witnessing is both, or, or to be a witness is both a noun and a verb. It's something they are. It's also something they're doing. And you see the church busy about witness. And it's not hard to deter. I know you can, if you're familiar with the book of Acts, which you should be increasingly, you're coming to evening service where I'm preaching through the book of Acts. If you're familiar with the book of Acts, you see the church is about this business of witnessing. And witnessing is basically establishing or affirming, proclaiming this truth about Jesus Christ. So, so the, the, the first church, they call themselves witness, witnesses, particularly the apostles, because they had seen the risen Jesus. And now it was their mission to tell the world about him about his supremacy, about his kingship, about his impending return, 
the need for everyone to surrender to him or face judgment. They were witnesses. They were bearing witness. It has a solemnity of the, you know, the judicial witness. You know, if you go to, if you're in court today, you state that you're a witness. And it's a serious thing, right? Often they'll make you swear on, on, on a Bible, for example, or something like that. Um, because it's, and if you lie, if you're caught lying, understand it's perjury, it's serious. They want you to get a solemnity. In fact, the Greek word that translates witness is the word that we often use, it's the word that also translates the word martyr in our, in our language. Someone who dies for, their, for something they believe in. And so there was a solemnity about it when they were called witnesses. It was something that we, we, would, we would do to our death. We're, we're, we're willing to die for this truth we believe. We are witnesses pointing to another. Our whole life is about pointing you to another. I, I'll say this other thing as well about the witness of the, old, of the apostles. It was primarily in preaching. It was primarily in proclaiming. Primarily in speaking, in telling others about Jesus. Tell the world about Jesus. They saw their identity wrapped up in a calling to tell people. Let me tell you about Jesus. I know, I'm a witness. I've seen, they had seen the risen Jesus. They, they knew what he did, what he was about. Let me tell you about Jesus. Primarily, primary, primary sense. Very often when we use witness in our conversations today, we're actually thinking more about actions and deeds than we are words. Very often we say, oh, be careful about your witness. And there's a way to witness. I think because if you embody the life of a witness, yes, it does mean that you're concerned for even how your, your actions speak. You know, say actions speak louder than words. It's not true in the gospel. But yes, your actions do speak. So you're concerned to be a witness there. But primarily, primarily... That's even a means to an end. You're concerned to be a witness by how you live so you can tell people about this Jesus. But my friends, you are a witness. Like you embody it. It's what you are. Is it true for you this morning? Just, just relax and think. Am I a witness? Is my life driven by this? Do I feel the weightiness? Do I step out and feel like well, in this place I'm a witness? Because I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm, I'm just about, I'm just about, my whole life is about telling people about Jesus. Right? And so Jesus Christ says to the apostles, you are my witnesses. That's what you will be. I, I don't think that that applies to the apostles alone. Right? I think there's a sense in which in the, in the book of Acts it does. There's a sense in which it does apply to the apostles alone in the book of Acts. In the sense that they were going to lay the foundation for the rest of us to build our witness upon their, their witness. So there's a primary witness, and, and that's why, in a sense, the Spirit works in ways for the apostles that he maybe doesn't work for others. Right? There was a heavy way in which the Spirit, he, he affirmed um, and he authenticated the, the ministry of the apostles with miracles, and that's why Luke has a book like this. There was something unique for what the apostles were. But at the same time, there's a sense in which that whole truth also applies to us, right? Jesus Christ, when he gave the gospel, the, the great commission, which you might say, Acts 1, verse 8. When I preached from Acts chapter 1, actually, earlier in the year, I said, this is the great commission. In Acts chapter 1, uh, in, in the great commission, Jesus Christ says, I'm with you to the end of the ages. So Christ is expecting his people to bear witness for him to the end of the ages, and that's us. Well, so Jesus Christ says to you and I, we are witnesses 
We are, that's who we are as witnesses. And I want, I want us to live up to our name. Live up to your name. You know, um, sometimes parents say that to your kids. Don't, don't bring shame on my, you know. Do you know who you are? Your, your mister, this is that. Your, your father is this is that. And hopefully your surname is good enough for your child to, to believe that. But you live up to your name. It's precious that, precious that come upon you because of your name. You know, it happens. I see that in sport a lot. Sometimes a sportsman gives, you know, his, his child wants a play sport, but he's not as gifted as his father or something. But he has his father's surname. He can never be good. Nothing. Nothing he does is ever going to be good enough. Even when he scores, they'll say, oh, you know who your dad, your dad was. Right? You have to, he has this pressure of having that name. And our name, Jesus calls us witnesses. And my brothers and sisters, if we're not feeling the pressure of having that name, if we're not feeling the weightiness, the, the implication of having that name witness, then how can we say we are living according to our calling? So many today, in this world today, people, are, I find it in churches a lot as well, Christians are so obsessed with their calling. I want to know my calling, my purpose. I want to know, and I want to work in, walk in, in purpose. If, I, if you put a conference up say, your walk in purpose, people are going to come for fun, right? Purpose. Listen, your calling is to be a witness. I know that for sure. Your calling is to be a witness. I can tell you that for certain. Let me say then a few things about how Jesus Christ illuminates, illustrates um, how knowing this truth truth should, how, the implication of how knowing this truth should direct how we live, right? How should it affect us? What does it mean that we are witnesses then? Firstly, I want to speak to you about it, it, um, the privilege of witness. I want to show you that, that it's a privilege. When Jesus Christ says to the apostles here, you are my witnesses, saying to them, you're in a privileged position. It's a privileged position. This is our great privilege to be a witness to the risen Christ. You know, in that passage, Acts chapter 1, earlier, they've been with Jesus Christ. This is the risen Christ. He died, he rose again. They've witnessed the resurrected Christ, and now Christ is giving them his last instructions. Doesn't that already indicate how significant it is? That when Christ is giving his last instructions, his last words on earth to help his people identify, have a sense of identity, he's talking about them being witnesses. This is the great privilege. But you know, the apostles are so concerned with other things. The Bible says in verse, verse 6, so when they had come together, they asked him. To them, this was the important thing to ask. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. That's not your concern for now. You're not, that's not, it's not your privilege to know what God is going to do with the beginning and the end of the world, what's going to do with Israel. Your great privilege is to be a witness. But you will receive power. I'm not going to tell you the mysteries of what's happening with Israel. I will tell you this. You have the privilege of bearing witness to me, empowered by the Holy Spirit. You are my witnesses. It's not just a responsibility. It's an identity. It's who they are. That's why I read to you uh, Isaiah 43. You know, in Isaiah 43, and maybe Jesus Christ is actually echoing these words. In Isaiah 43, Jehovah says, you are my witnesses. Now Jesus Christ says, you are my witnesses. It's, it's another reminder that Jesus Christ, calls, Jesus Christ, is, Jesus Christ is Jehovah. He's the, he's the living God. I, I, right? We are Jehovah's witnesses. Oops. 
But it's really true. You, you know, the Jehovah's Witnesses don't even believe in Jehovah because they don't realize that Jesus is Jehovah. They think he's an angel, a created being. So they're anything but, respectfully, Jehovah's Witnesses. We are Jehovah's Witnesses. I'm not changing, don't get scared. You guys, I'm not changing the name of the church. It's going to be GRC. I'm not, it's not, and neither is it wise to go, don't tell someone tomorrow, oh, I go to Jehovah. No, that's problematic language and everything. Yeah? But in the real sense, you know what I mean? We are Jehovah's Witnesses. That's who we are. Right? Jesus Christ, his last words, you are my witness. It's the privilege that the God of heaven and earth, the last time, you might say, the last time God was walking on earth, the thing he said was, you are my witnesses. Right? Why is this a privilege? Because you're talking about him. It's a great privilege of life to point to him, to talk about him, right? to speak about Jesus. Because of the one about whom we're talking, the one to whom we're bearing witness, the one for whom we're bearing witness, it's a great privilege to be a witness to Jesus. Right? And so the great privilege of bearing witness, evangelism, for example, is not even just a conversion of souls. There's an even more ultimate privilege. You see? So it's not simply that I'm going to share the gospel and it's worthwhile if this person will be converted. That's when we then look at someone and we say, they don't even look like they're going to care about this, so I'm going to hold it back. No, the, the great privilege of it is this I'm talking about Jesus. There's so many things, so much, so much talking in this world. So many things that people want to talk about and yap about and gossip and stuff. So many things to say. But there's a privilege to speak about Jesus. How sweet the name of Jesus sounds. Is he not worthy of being spoken of and talking about him? It's a great privilege for me to tell you about my Jesus. It's the great privilege we, we have. Are you, are you proud, in a sense, to be a witness for Christ tonight? Are you, this morning, are you, are you, do you sense your privilege? Um, and if we did, if we realized that the great privilege of life was to speak about Jesus, would we not maybe be living differently? I'm, I'm trying to get to the heart of our miss, our failure to appropriate our identity. You know that the world in the world today, identity crisis is the big issue. And we, we, we're going through one in the church as well. Not in the way those folks are, maybe. But we're going through one as well, as far as knowing who we're meant to be in Jesus. What's, who am I? What's meant to then consume my living? I'm a witness. You know, when I was preparing this and the series, and I, and I thought I was going to talk about this subject, I said to myself, I said, I'm a witness. And I was almost, I wasn't ready for it. I wasn't, I wasn't prepared. I thought, how could I have drifted so far from God's definition of my own identity that for me to say it to myself felt almost foreign. Like it, I, I saw so many holes, so many gaps, so many spaces in my life where I wasn't fully acquainted with that reality. Oh, I wasn't even acting there like I was a witness. I didn't realize this was the great privilege of life. So concerned with so many other things. You realize that the activity that stands between the two great turning points of human history, the arrival of Jesus Christ and his impending return is to witness. That's the great activity. Oh, friends, this is a privilege. This is purpose. This is a calling to have. 
The way life works, many of us have a sense of things that we are called to, which we don't often attain to. Hollywood knows how to Hollywoodize everything. So you see someone that says, I knew when I was five, I was called to perform on these big stages. Now that they're 25, they're performing on those big stages. And they simply say to you something like, you follow your dream, that, blah, 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 blah. and you two, you start to, you forget that you're 35 and you haven't achieved that. You forget that. It didn't apply to me. I dreamt as well. It's the reality of life. Some of us feel things that we're called to and we don't attain to. It's not a happy thing. It happens for some, but there's no sense in which I can say with any confidence that everything I feel called to is what I, I get. Or every sense of purpose I feel I have, I walk in. Right? Someone said, I started a business when I was 16, just with a dream, a dollar and a dream. And I started a business, and people put me down and said, no hope, da 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 And today, I'm making, I love the story. And I praise your story. But it's not everybody's story. Some people, uh, some people, they start business one, two, three, four, six, seven. Essentially, they end up just haven't been made enough to live, raise their family. And it's just, life is strange like that. God does things. God is mysterious. God is sovereign. But it doesn't matter because none of those things get to the heart of who we are. We should never feel purposeless because we didn't get to chase a dream. No, we're witnesses. That's our privilege. The great thing to be doing, the great thing to be, is to be a witness. That's what your purpose in this life is. That's what your calling is. No matter what you are able to enjoy in this world and use your gifts for, never forget you're a witness. So that's why I'm not saying you can't follow some dream or you can't be a, I don't know what you want, what you have a passion to be, a doctor, a politician, or lawyer, or an actor, or a musician. I would never say that to a Christian. God is sovereign. And very often he, he gives us those gifts, he allows us, allows us to use it. But I'm saying none of those things ever define you. Don't wake up in the morning and allow the fact that, I don't know, you're an inspiring teacher to be what defines you. Don't wake up in the morning and, 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 and let it be that the fact that you're an academic is what defines you. Or that you're an entrepreneur is what defines you. No, I'm a witness. Even my entrepreneurship or my, my academia is a means to bearing witness to Jesus. Because when all else fails, all glory will be to Christ. When academia fails, right? When business and entrepreneurship fails, Jesus' glory will remain. And so it's the great privilege to bear witness to him. And so if you're asking yourself, what's my calling? What's my purpose? What, what, what mark will I leave on this earth? I have great news for you if you're a Christian. You have a purpose and a calling and a mark to leave on this earth that you will never need to be ashamed of. A, a mark that will never be, it will never be rubbed out. A legacy that will always last. You bear witness to Jesus. That's our privilege. Right? We are, that's who we are. That's what Christ has made us by his grace. The one who spoke the world into being has also spoken you to be a witness. There's a privilege. The other thing is there's a priority. The priority of witness. Right? When Jesus calls you, he usually, well, he calls you to lay your life down. He takes over. You know, there's a, there's a realm of life where you don't like people who take over. You know, someone, what's that, what's that thing that someone, 
they call it, uh, they say like it's a main character syndrome or something like that, or someone walks into a room and they want to take over. You don't like those people, right? You say, I always wanted to be the star of the show. Like, you don't like those people. That's because human beings always have, you know, selfish desires and, they, you know, they have motives you can't trust. And so, yes. But, you know, Jesus Christ, when Jesus enters a room, he takes over. When Jesus enters a life, he takes over. He doesn't discuss stage. He doesn't say, okay, I'll say center left. No, he's everything. All attention is on him because he's worthy of glory. No, no, no human being should ever take that place because no human being is ever worthy of it. Celebrities are the best example. You go to a concert. Your favorite celebrity is center stage. And everything is on them. The lights, the focus is on them. And their music, fine. For, for, for a stage performance, great. But that's just a performance. Nobody's ever worthy of center stage. Nobody. But Jesus is. He's worthy of all the glory. It's just and right. And he takes, when he comes into a life, he takes over. And so there's a priority. Here, you see how it's demonstrated. The disciples say, Jesus, what's going to happen to Israel? Jesus Christ says, no, there's, something is way more of a priority for you. Leave. Leave how God is going to sort that out. Leave those issues. This is your priority. Bear witness over any concern that you have about Israel's restoration or Israel's role in world history. This is your priority. Bear witness. I, 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 I feel Jesus Christ saying to, uh, to, to, um, to Martha and Mary, there's one thing that's needful. Don't be distracted. Bear witness. That's the focus. It's a priority. And why is it a priority? Because you know what happens after Jesus says, you're my witnesses. He ascends into heaven. And the angels tell them, warn them. The angels warn them. And they're talking to the apostles, but they're talking to the church forever. They're saying, they say, that Jesus that you saw going up, that same Jesus, he's coming back. He will come in the same way as you saw him go. When he comes back this time, he's coming with judgment. When he comes back this time, um, he, he, he's coming to determine the final destination of men and women. And because of that, the priority right now is to bear witness to the saving power of Jesus. It's the priority of life. Right? It's the priority. When Jesus Christ calls you, he takes over everything. Remember, that's how it was with the, um, the disciples. With the disciples, Jesus would say, follow me. Follow me. We're seeing it. We saw it everywhere in the book of and the Gospels. Follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me. And at one point, Peter says, when, when, when Peter is explaining for us what it meant to follow Jesus, Peter says, Lord, we left everything to follow you. When Jesus Christ takes, calls us to follow him, he takes over everything. Takes over our lives. There has to be a sense, and I know it's not the same as the disciples, but brothers and sisters, there has to be a sense in which you and I can say, Jesus, we left everything follow you. Jesus, we forsook everything to make you central, to make life all about you. And one of the ways we do that is by prioritizing witness. We prioritize that in everything. We prioritize witness in our home. We prioritize witness in our work. 100%. I've, I've seen, I realize that those conversations happen around, should I evangelize? It's not a matter of if you have no choice, if you're a Christian, but to be a witness at work. 
any more than you have a, chance to, a choice to be human. Right? You can't go to work. I'm not going to be human at work. If you go to a place where they dehumanize you, you don't want, there's something wrong. You don't want to be there. No difference. You have to be a witness. If you go to somewhere, if you work somewhere where you cannot be a witness, you can't be there. It's dangerous. It's harmful to you. You are a witness when you step into anywhere in this world. Witnesses. Why do we forget that? You can be a bad witness. Yes. But you're a witness. And, and, and tonight, I'm preaching from Acts 17, we're going to see, Paul, Paul will remind us how you, you walk into the most secular of places, the most philosophical of places, the most idolatrous of places, and you still remain a witness. I, I don't know the preacher, it was one of our last two preachers who spoke about how you should evangelize at work and said, you know, I'm not saying that you should, you know, I think it was a quick Q&A with Tim Conway. He said, I don't, I'm not saying you should lay off work and then do evangelism. I'm not saying that either. I'm not saying that you will always even have the opportunity to tell someone the gospel. But you're a witness. That's what you're there for. You're there to be a witness to the glory of Jesus. It's, it's, it's how Paul tells slaves in the, in, in the New Testament. Now, now very often we, we see that there is a, um, an application for us in the work life and how Paul speaks to slaves in the New Testament. Paul tells them, you're, you're there to make the gospel attractive. You know that. That's the fragrance. That's the fragrance you're meant to carry. The most important fragrance is the fragrance of the gospel. Everyone knows in your workplace now that your favorite perfume is fill the blank, Tom Ford. We know that. They, they, that's all they smell. But is that all that there is to you? The Muslims are wearing Tom Ford as well. That Muslim in your workplace, that Buddhist, that agnostic, that atheist, they're wearing Tom Ford too. They have that fragrance too. What do you have? Is that all you have? The fragrance of the gospel. Why is your life not shocking people, awakening them, asking them, what is the reason? Why is it not moving them to say, what's the reason that you live this way? Why is your life not making the gospel attractive? You're a witness. Is it because we haven't prioritized it? If we don't prioritize being a witness, God's not going to work, work through us powerfully. Let's be clear. For some of us, the reason why we haven't borne witness to Christ in the different places where we find ourselves is because being a witness is not a priority. It's not the main thing. Oh, and we serve a God um, who would not receive that which costs us nothing. God receives excellent sacrifice. So, so God is not going to accept this witness that you bear to him, which is lazy and doesn't require sacrifice and doesn't require investment. We haven't made witness a priority. Why don't we make witness a priority? We're distracted. Distracted people. That The apostles were about to be distracted. Tell us about Israel. Jesus Christ says, don't be distracted. Don't be distracted, Christ says. Uh, your witnesses. We're distracted, distracted by this, this earth by the pursuits of earthly comforts. One of the most daunting verses in the, in the Bible about judgment in the New Testament is when Jesus Christ compares unpreparedness for the kingdom of God to what people were like in the days of Noah or what people were like in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. That's a good one. What Christ says, you know how people were like in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah? How were they? They were sexually immoral. They were corrupt business people. They were fraudulent. Is that what Jesus says? No, it's not what he says. He says they were drinking and eating. They were building and planting houses. 
they were getting married. Things that are just, you would think, just normal and good, but distracted them from being ready for the kingdom. And that's one of the reasons why we don't prioritize it. We're so distracted. We're so distracted by the pursuit of some kind of earthly pleasure that we don't think that we need to invest in being a witness. And brothers and sisters, sometimes you just have to stop yourself and say, I am a witness. I'm a witness. That's what I'm here for. I'm here to be a witness. That's what God left us on earth to do. I was reading a sermon on this, and the preacher said, he said, what is it that God left you on earth to do? He says, let me put the matter another way. What is it that we can do on earth that we can't do in heaven? We can sing on earth, and we can sing in heaven. We can pray on earth, and we can pray in heaven. We can fellowship with other believers on earth, and we will certainly fellowship with them in heaven. The list could be lengthened. But when you think about it, there is one main thing you can do on earth that you will never do in heaven. You can tell a lost sinner about Jesus Christ. There are no sinners in heaven, right? And so that's our, that's what, that's our priority here, is how can I live in such a way to make Jesus known to the world? It has to be a priority or you're disobeying your Lord. It has to be a priority, or you're not being a witness. You're lost. You're confused about your identity. The last third thing is, is the powerful witness. I asked the question, I said, why is, why is witness not a priority? Why are we not, why don't we live as witnesses? I said, maybe because we're distracted. Another thing might be because we're powerless. We just don't have power. Look at the words of Jesus Christ. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witness. You will receive power for witness. So Jesus Christ says that to be his witness does require power, because this is a spiritual thing. It's something that natural man cannot do. Something that's done only by those who have the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe that's the biggest reason for our failure to be witnesses, is that we often feel powerless. We feel powerless because we're afraid of what people will say. We're rendered powerless by fear, powerless by a lack of boldness, powerless by a lack of conviction. Do I, do I feel the, the desperate situation that these men and women are really in? Am I convicted enough to tell someone, if you don't trust in Jesus, you'll go to hell? It's not something you want to say with a smile on your face. I'd rather say it with tears in my eye. Otherwise, who's going to believe me? Right? A lack of desire. I go weeks, months without praying for or speaking to an unbeliever about the gospel. And I'm actually not troubled. I'm okay. I sleep well. And I feel that. And I say, wow, there's no desire. There's actually no desire. There's no passion. There's no hunger. No sense of urgency. A spiritual coldness. This is all powerlessness. And so it's so instructive that our Lord says, but you will receive power. Jesus Christ knows that when we're about to engage in this spiritual thing, we can be powerless. But he promises that we will receive power. The Holy Spirit gives us power. Power to be witnesses. So God doesn't send us to do this in our own strength. When all is said and done, then we're left without excuse. Because those who are Christians are those who the Bible says they have the Holy Spirit. If a man does not have the Holy Spirit, he is none of his. If a man doesn't have the Holy Spirit, he's not a Christian. If you have 
the, if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit, what you have is power, particularly power to be a witness. You will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you and the Spirit gives boldness to the timid. He gives bravery and courage to the fearful. And the Spirit gives wisdom to the foolish. And He gives understanding. He gives power so that we are without excuse. He gives us the power that we need to speak about Jesus. The Holy Spirit will make you walk right, talk right, make you love your enemies, make you patient, make you kind, make you do the impossible, those things that are naturally contrary to your human nature, you find power to do. The Spirit gives power. He makes things come alive. He transforms. He makes things move power. When power comes in, he does that. And you know, the great disappointment in all of this is that for some of us, we never experience this power because we don't make ourselves available for a life of witness. I, I wonder, I, I wonder to myself now, I think, what experience of the Spirit's power would I know if I really prioritized witness, if I wasn't so distracted? If I stood up in my state as a man and I saw what I had, what I owned, what I possessed, and I said, these things are for witness. That's my priority. Whatever stage I'm in, married, single, parent, uh, teenager, young adult, whatever defines your state. If you said, this is for witness to make Jesus known, what experience of the Spirit's power would we know? If we made ourselves available but you have to be surrendered to the power of the Spirit. Christians have the Holy Spirit, absolutely. This Holy Spirit is at work in your life if you're a Christian. But there is every indication in the Scriptures that there is such a thing as yielding to the Spirit. The, Spirit, the Bible can speak of grieving the Holy Spirit. You can displease Him. Paul can speak of be, being filled, like you never have, you need more, you can need more. Like your, your, your cup can be empty. You know that song, fill my cup. We need the Spirit. And so, this is the beautiful, beautiful thing about identifying with what Christ has called us. Because now we feel deep inside, we say, Jesus Christ is calling me to surrender to the Spirit. To not live according to the flesh. And so I will receive power to be a witness. But God has given us that power. We're without excuse. God's children are called to just surrender Say, Holy Spirit, use me. Give me the right words to say. Give me a hunger. Give me a passion. Give me a desire for those around me. Um, the excuses are not even relevant, as, apart from confession. I, I might confess my weakness. I'm afraid. I'm, I'm, I'm not passionate enough. I, can, I might confess that, but I, I know the Spirit of God who can, he can do all things. He empowers me to be a witness for Jesus. And there's no life like this. So let me close by saying this. Again, can you, can you be a Christian and not be a witness? Is that a thing? No. No. If you're a Christian, that's what it is. You're a witness. But sometimes 
there is this disconnect. Sometimes it's this sense in which we're not living up to our identity. And we are called to repent of that. My, my brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, and don't, don't agree, don't, don't, don't disagree with me. You need, to, you need to, as we say on the street, you need to deepen, you need to take this in. You need to forsake everything that defines you and recognize that you're called to be a witness. Take that in. God wants you to live your life that way. You know, this past week, as I said, because I was preparing this, I've just been driven by that. I'm actually meant to be a witness. Yesterday I went somewhere to watch football, and I'm thinking, I'm meant to be a witness. I'm a witness here in this very mundane place. That's what I'm meant to be. That's what's meant to, to define me. But brothers and sisters, the Bible says that the apostles received the calling to be witnesses because they had seen the risen Christ. In fact, later on, they're about to choose another apostle, right? When they're about to choose that apostle, they choose, one of the requirements was, we need someone who had seen the risen Christ. That's because you have to be a witness to him. How does that extend to the church? I think Peter is the one who explained it to us in his first epistle. When he says, you haven't seen him. Right? You haven't seen him like we have. You haven't seen him physically. You haven't seen him. But it doesn't mean you can't be witnesses. Because although you haven't seen him, you love him. Although you haven't seen him, you know him for yourself. And so here's Peter who had seen Jesus with the same, with his physical eyes, saying the same thing that can drive me to bear witness to him is the same truth that can drive you, love. Because even though you haven't seen him with your physical eyes, you've seen him by faith. And brothers and sisters that have the Holy Spirit, this Jesus has changed our lives. We've given all that we have to follow him. He saved us from death and hell. No matter what we achieve in this world, all our hope is in Jesus. When we think of the end, when we think of where we're heading to, all we have is in Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus, if you're a Christian. And if that's true for you, it's true because you believe that Jesus died and rose again. And you've seen how believing just the message about him. You know, there was a, there's a fellow in the, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, that said, I'm a man under authority. Just, just speak the word and my child will be healed. Just by believing his word, we have been changed. Just by believing this gospel, that Christ died and rose again, my life will never be the same again. I'm a new person because all my hope is in the message of the gospel. Those of us who have known that, Jesus Christ calls us from that fullness that we have received to go out, to live, to speak, to be witnesses. Amen.